um, in the history of mankind. But the question I want to think about today with all of us is how does this relate to me? And who are we in this story? And so, of course, there are several people in the story, several different characters, but today I want to meditate on us as Lazarus and what it means when Christ comes to me. And so first, let's think about this, the meaning of death in the story. The death is obviously physical death. Uh, he had died from, from being sick, the death of a human being. And St. Paul talks about this death. He says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And in fact, so many of the Psalms that we read, uh, especially during Holy Week, we, we, we talk about conquering death and, and overcoming our enemies and, and how the enemy surrounds me and that the enemy is defeated. Well, what enemy are we talking about? Well, the enemy we're talking about is death. And we see in this story that Christ had a very interesting reaction to death. What was Christ's reaction to death? He cried. He wept. He didn't like it. And it's a very powerful testimony. Um, and he didn't say all of the things that we say at funerals. You know, at funerals we say things like, well, you know, he's in a better place or she's in a better place and, you know, may God console you and, you know, someday we'll meet up with them. And Jesus didn't do any of those things. Rather, he just cried. It affected him. And um, so Christ struggled with death and it it comes back to the fact that death isn't a part of who we are and what we're supposed to encounter as human beings. It's actually not normal. It's, it's foreign. And as St. Paul says, it's an enemy that needs to be defeated. So physical death, of course, happens to all of us. It's common. It's a common occurrence, and it's, it's, um, it's something I can't control. It's something we're all going to face. We're all going to die. And so for me, this story isn't about physical death. It's the death, you know, the, the physical death that happened after the fall when corruption entered the world. In fact, it's a different kind of death that I'm talking about. Um, it's the death of sin. And that's the one that gets all of us before the death of the body gets us. In fact, St. James says very directly in his epistle, sin, sin brings forth death. So in fact, when I look at Lazarus' death, and I think of myself, myself. I think of the sin in my life that has led me to this slow, this slow spiritual death. And we can all think of those, right? Those, those, those things that we just kind of lead us away from God. Slowly, every year, year in and year out, they, try to, they tick away at us. And the death of this kind of sin has consequences. In fact, the biggest consequence of sin came in the story of the Garden of Eden, Right? Because God said to Adam and Eve, he said, if you eat of this fruit, death you shall surely die. And by the way, he wasn't saying, if you eat of this fruit, I'm going to kill you. That's a threat. He didn't do that. He talked about consequences. He says, if you do this, death you shall surely die. And St. Athanasius tells us in his book on the Incarnation that when man sinned, corruption entered into the world. And so today we hear about this corruption. In the story, one of the things they mentioned about Lazarus was what? That he started to decay, that he, he stinks, because it's been four days. And so what is that corruption? It's the death of sin. And what's the stench? The stench is what comes out of sin. 
So this isn't a story in history about a guy who died named Lazarus and a bunch of people cried and how Jesus resurrected him. It's my story. It's me. And it's what happened to me this morning and this week and most of my life. And so when I think about it, this death is what I do to myself when I sin. As we say in the Gregorian liturgy, I pluck for myself the sentence of death. I pluck for myself. So what should I do about it? St. Paul clearly tells us that the wage of sin is death, and that's just a natural consequence. So what happens when I choose not God? What happens when I choose something other than him? Which is what Adam and Eve did, right? And Christ very clearly says, talks about this. He says, you know, what happens when I cut myself off from Christ? He says, well, what happens when a branch is cut from a tree? You know what happens. You cut a branch off and no more fruit grows off that tree. No more leaves grow off that tree. And that tree, that branch, sorry, that branch falls to the ground. And after a while, the branch starts to decay and it dies. It's that simple. We cut ourselves off from the tree and we just start to die. And so even though we look like we're alive, we may even be serving, we may even be teaching Sunday school, teaching hymn class, teaching whatever. We look like we're moving and we're alive, but we're not. We're actually dead, dead in sin. And how can this happen in a church like ours that's so full of wonderful spiritual practices, so many fasts, so many prayers, so many liturgies, so many ways to practice our faith? It's easy. It happens all the time. I can be here, and I can be doing it, and I can still be cut off from the tree. And I look at the Pharisees, they're very active, and they practiced all the things that God told them to do, and they practiced them meticulously. In fact, if you look at the Pharisees, most of what the Pharisees did was right. They did it spot on, and they did exactly what God told them to do. And yet God, Jesus, called them whitewashed tombs that were full of the remains of decayed, disgusting, dead people. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside, full of corruption. And so even though they followed everything and they did everything right, the question is, is it possible to be so right and yet be wrong? And the answer is, yeah. I can just follow along, do all the things, and find myself in a position where I'm cut off from Christ. He's not in me, and I in him. And so Christ is life. He said that. I am the life. So if you have him, you have life. And if you don't have him, you don't. It's a lot like light. He also says, I'm the true light. You have him, you have light. And the absence of light is darkness. So the resurrection from the dead in today's gospel is about the return of man to life from death. In my life, it's the return to life from death, to return to Christ from the life of sin. So where does Jesus go to call us? Where does Jesus go to call these people from the dead? Where does he look? He looks for the dead ones. I'll say it again. Jesus went looking for the dead ones to call back to life. And then he didn't just pick any guy. It said there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. Because, you know, there's dead and then there's dead, dead. 
And this guy was dead, dead. Four days dead. Hopelessly dead. Lazarus' body was in the tomb. His internal organs had started decomposing. And have you ever smelled something dead? It stinks. It decays. It's breaking down. So do we know people like this? People who are hopelessly sinful? The kinds of people we choose to give up on? Someone who's been living in sin for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever. Someone who kills, someone who hates, someone who's addicted, someone who's trapped in fear and despair. Someone who's subject to anger, to jealousy, to control and manipulate, gossip, judge. One for whom there is no hope. Do you know people like that? I do. They are all around us. In fact, they are us, all of us. So Lazarus' soul had already gone. It separated from his body. His soul had already gone to Hades. Who knows, maybe he was meeting his parents, he was meeting his grandparents. He was meeting all kinds of people in Hades. He was visiting everybody. And it's tough to get a refund on that kind of flight. But none of that was important. One word from the Savior, come out. And he did. The man who had been dead for four days. And this is the strength of God's word. I read a nice quote on a t-shirt. It said, sooner or later, we all discover that kindness is the only kind of strength there is. So I want to link these two. God's word was very powerful, wasn't it? Jesus said, come out, and he raised a man who was dead after four days. And here, this quote says that kindness is the only kind of strength there is. So in my world, these powerful, strong words that revive the dead are the kind words, the loving words. And who can God's love revive? The worst sinners, the ones who haven't repented in decades, the ones who haven't uttered a word to God in years, us. Is it possible that after all these years of anger and resentment and jealousy and hatred and bitterness, that God can make me whole again? I want to focus on that thought, and I want to couple it with something Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Basically, she's saying, you know, if you'd come sooner, maybe you could have done something about this. In her mind, you know, maybe she's giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she's making him feel good. You know, I know you tried. I know you tried to get here. If only you'd gotten here sooner, this wouldn't have happened. So Martha was doing what? She was limiting the unlimited. She was putting parameters around Jesus. She's saying, here's what you can do and here's what you can't do. Here's what you are incapable of doing. Unfortunately, you are now in the incapable area. He's already dead and he's been dead for four days. You can't do this. She bordered him and she put walls around him. Silly, silly Martha. She doesn't get it, does she? She doesn't get who Jesus is. And the question is, do you? Do you get what Jesus can do? Do you get that God can resurrect someone after a life of sin? Or are we equally too quick to write people off? To say, you know what, there's no hope for this one. This one's too far gone. This one's been doing this, living in this life for just too long. A few of us servants, some of the high school servants, invited me to come with them to this place called Homeboy Industries, which is in Los Angeles. 
in downtown LA. For those of you who don't know, it's an organization that rehabilitates gang members, ex-gang members. Gives them a job, it gives them training, it removes tattoos, it gives them classes on how to parent, on how to cope, on how to do job skills. And most importantly, it gives them a sense of worth and a sense of purpose. Our tour guide was a man who had been jailed for 40 years. 40 years. And he was giving us the tour. And by his own words, he said it took a long time for him to get rehabilitated. He was as tough as they came. And the reason he was in jail so long, because he was part of a, a drive-by that he had nothing to do with, and he ended up in jail for 40 years for it. He said the reason is because he would keep jumping other rival gang members in jail, try to stab them, try to do stuff to them. So every time he would jump somebody, they'd put him in solitary confinement, which is really horrible, for like a year as punishment. And then as soon as he got out, like the next day, he'd jump somebody else, and they'd put him back in the hole for another year or whatever it was. And that's why he stayed in jail for 40 years. And he was one of the sweetest people I'd ever met that day. He was kind and warm and thoughtful, smiled, and he was repentant, he was honest, he was vulnerable. He was what? He was resurrected. And as the servants can testify, we were all overwhelmed by emotion that day, all of us. For me, I was standing before the resurrected Lazarus and looking Lazarus in the eyes. It's the same Lazarus we read about today, no different. It's like I look at any one of you over coffee in the eyes, I was looking at Lazarus in the eyes. It's like I had just watched Jesus heal this man from the grave. Jesus walks away and I kind of walk up to Lazarus and I say, hey, what's it like? And this guy was telling us his story. The guy that served me a bagel had a hairnet on. His name was Hector and he had tattoos all over his body. And if I saw him, I have to admit, on the street in downtown LA, I would be terrified. But when he took my order and he did it with a warm and gentle smile, it made my eyes fill up with tears. And to use Father Greg Boyle's words, I caught a glimpse of him. I saw somebody. And I saw that he was actually somebody in the shape of God's heart. It's an amazing experience. The fathers teach us that a harlot becomes a virgin after repentance. Nothing is too big, no sin, no lifestyle, no hatred, no addictions, nothing. But let's forget about these, the gang members and these other people. What do I do? What about my state? I'm sitting in a place I don't want to be in and I want out. In verse 33, there's an interesting thing that Jesus does and it's a bit puzzling. It says he groaned in the spirit. What's that? Why did Jesus groan in the spirit? It's kind of odd. Maybe he was a bit emotional, but we notice he does that other times. He's done that a few other times in the Gospels. And the fathers tell us that at that moment, Jesus took Lazarus's death. And that at that moment, Lazarus resurrected because Jesus took it. It's like he groaned when he took his death. In other places, he groaned when he took someone's illness. It turns out this is actually the point of repentance. 
It isn't so I can remove sins and so my debits are more than my credits and then I can get into heaven, you know, by removing a couple of sins and do a couple of good things and then, you know, add up so that I win and get into heaven. What Jesus is telling us, he says, I want you to take those things and I want you to throw them on me. If the wage of sin is death and you have sin, then I love you too much to let you die. I don't want them to kill you. So he says it a different way. What does he say? He says, let, me, let it kill me instead of you. I want your sins to kill me. Throw them on me and let me die instead. And so no matter what the sin, the addiction, the disease we have, Christ says, I can overcome that. I can resurrect you from that. In fact, Jesus didn't tell the disciples that Lazarus died, did he? What did he say? He said he's asleep which is an odd thing, because death, because sleep is a temporary state. Anyone can come out of sleep. It's not permanent. And this is how Christ looks at sin. It's a temporary state. It's like someone sleeping. Unfortunately, we can't tell. We look at someone who's sinning and we say, that guy's dead. She's done. She's been in it too long. He's been in it too long. They can't come out of this. But anyone who's watched someone sleep knows that they, they wake up after a few hours maybe groggy, but they wake up. And when we hear his voice, we stand. I'll read you a quote from Elder Thaddeus. He says, all of us sin constantly. We slip and fall. In reality, we fall into a trap set by demons. The Holy Fathers always tell us it is important to get up immediately after a fall and to keep on walking toward God. Even if we fall a hundred times a day, it does not matter. We must get up and go on walking toward God without looking back. What has happened has happened. It is in the past. Just keep on going and all the while asking for help from God. It's perfect. He says, well, get up and keep walking towards our Father. It doesn't matter how long you've been in it. It doesn't matter what kind of grip it's got on your life. It doesn't matter how long you've been dead. And so the final point I want to make that's borne out by this story, is that God often doesn't take the path we expect him to take. He solves the problem in a way we did not anticipate. And we see this a lot, right? You remember when um, the people of Israel were stuck on the Red Sea, and then they saw the army of Pharaoh coming up behind them. What did they say? They said, we have two choices, right? Either they're going to kill us, the army's going to kill us. Or they're going to take us back to Egypt and make us slaves. Those are the two, those two rational choices that we have. And then God came along and offered plan C, right? Option three, which is I'm going to split the Red Sea and you're going to walk through it, right? We see this a lot, right? In the story of the five loaves and the two fish, what did the disciples tell Jesus? Either send them home so they can go home and eat or... We have to buy food for all these people. Those are the two options. And then Christ comes along with plan C again. No, let's feed them, and we're going to feed them from very, very little. And today, we read about Mary and Martha, and they also had two options. Jesus will either heal Lazarus before he dies, or he will die. And those are the options. And once again, Christ came up with plan C and said, no, I'm going to wait for him to die, and then I'm going to wait four days, and then I'm going to heal him. So God's solutions don't occur logically to us. 
They're not subject to time or place or the laws of physics or the laws of this earth because he's above that. All the laws, the natural laws. So don't give up just because it's not following the laws of nature or the logical ending to the problem that you see. I want to read this one poem. It's about submission. And I've read it before, I think, but I'll read it one more time. Because submitting our will to God is the ultimate form of prayer. It's called the whatever prayer. Whatever you want, Lord, I want. Whatever you choose, I choose. Whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever you give, I'll receive. Whatever you withhold, I'll accept. Whatever you plan, I rejoice in. Whatever, Lord, whatever. Hopefully we can learn to pray and to love like this, to not give up on each other, and mostly not to give up on ourselves. Don't ever give up on yourself. May the Lord give us this faith to see that there's always hope, no matter how lost the cause seems to be. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Blessed are they.